0: So if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn, please, to Psalm 146. And I've called this sermon, Where Is Your Trust? And uh, really, I want to speak at this time, in this uh, current context, really, of uncertainty within our nation. The current political climate, Brexit. There we are, I've got it out there early, okay? And the shaking that we are seeing going on across our nation and across the nations. And I felt God speak to me really clearly through Psalm 146 over the last few weeks. And in the light of what Rob brought the last couple of times he spoke on Sundays here, with those couple of talks from Haggai about the shaking of the nations, and about us being prepared for that, these global events which are happening. And then the fact that we had our weekend away where there was a commission to go and be disciples wherever we're sent to, it felt like this really fits. And so I feel this morning that what God's given me is two things for us as a people. First of all, there's a call on us to focus again afresh on our amazing, loving, powerful God. And the purpose of that call to focus afresh on him is that it strengthens our faith and bolsters our confidence in who he is and therefore in who we are. And the second thing that I feel to bring is a challenge to us a call to action, a challenge to do something in uncertain times, to be a people who know their God. Because if we as a people know our God, we will do great things for him. And the way I'm going to sort this, uh, this talk out is we're going to ask three questions, and then I'm going to bring some applications, three application points at the end, which sounds long but isn't. So, Psalm 146. Let's read it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. And he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all
1: generations. Let's pray.
0: Oh Father, we open your word and the riches just pour off the page at us. Ten verses, God, you've given us there in in that psalm, and they are dynamite. So, Father, we pray as we spend this next time looking at this, would you open our hearts? Would you help us to focus our attention on you? and that when we've gazed on our magnificent Heavenly Father, we would go from here transformed and ready to represent you wherever we go. Amen. So, the first of these three questions then is a really obvious one. So the first question is, will you praise? The last five psalms, of this amazing collection of psalms that we call psalms, um, 146 through to 150, all start and end with "Praise the Lord." Praise the Lord. And the the Hebrew is Hallel Yah, which from that we get Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Book ending all of these psalms at the end of the book and. I just love the clarity of that message. There's been, you know, we spent the summer, didn't we, picking out some of these psalms as we went through. And, uh, and then we get to the end of the book. And the psalmist goes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Very clear. And what I like about this first of that series, Psalm 146, is that the psalmist is speaking to himself. He says, praise the Lord. Remember, soul. Praise the Lord, and in verse two, he makes a decision. I will praise the Lord for how long, oh, while I live, okay
1: and I'll sing praises while i 've got breath We all praise something
0: all of us do. Praise is what we were designed to do, so it's natural that we will praise something. The question is what? And the question the psalmist raises here is, will you praise the Lord? That's where we find our true purpose. If you ever meet someone who says, I don't know what I'm meant to do in life. This is the answer. Praise the Lord. If you do that, the rest follows. So the first question the psalmist lays down for us is, will you praise the Lord? Will you decide to praise the Lord? Because it is a deliberate decision. And will you do it with all that you've got? And will you do it for as long as you live? Will you praise? So that's the first question. The second question is, where is your trust? And in the next few verses in the psalm, um, the psalmist provides us with this contrast of two types of people. Those who trust in human princes and those who trust in God. And so he describes these princes in verses 3 and 4. He first of all says that they're mortal, so they're going to die. They're from dust and they will return to dust. I uh, read one translation of of this verse, so where it says his spirit departs, he returns to the earth. And uh, the the commentator said uh, it could be described that these princes are earthlings and they will return to earth, which sounded a bit kind of Martian. (laughs) But um, anyway, yeah, they're dust and they will return to dust. That's where every human ends up. Man is mortal. Not only that is there's no salvation in man. Verse three, don't trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. It may seem like these princes have power, It may seem like they have the answers, but actually, in the face of the big issues of life, they have nothing to offer. In the face of sin, in the face of death, they have nothing to offer. They're powerless. And not only that, their schemes will come to nothing. So verse 4, in that very day, his thoughts perish. As soon as the prince dies and Passes on, schemes come to an end. Now, I'm not sure if in 21st century Britain we particularly struggle with the idea of putting our trust in princes or rulers per se.
1: But I do wonder if we
0: put our trust in our democratic systems. So we may say, well, The people who are, you know, there at the moment, do they really know what they're Brexiting about and so on? But actually, underlying it all, it will be okay. Why? Because we live in a democratic society. After all, we invented democracy, didn't we? The mother of parliaments. We know what we're doing. And ultimately, it will all be okay in the end because of democracy.
1: Well, I'm afraid that if you believe that,
0: you're in for some disappointment, if you're not already disappointed. Just in the last few weeks, we've had a prime minister who's been found guilty of acting unlawfully by the Supreme Court. We've got an issue with implementing the results of a referendum. We look across the Atlantic and we've got the president of the USA who's facing impeachment charges. We've had weeks after weeks of protest in Hong Kong about democracy. We've had the Cat- leaders of the Catalan separatist movement, that's all about democracy, being jailed in Spain this week. These are not good times for those who put their trust in democracy. I'm not saying democracy isn't a good thing. <laughs> Don't go away with that. From that is not in Psalm 146. <laughs> But it's about where your trust is. And what the psalmist seems to suggest is, and remember that he's living in a society where the leader is appointed by God. This is is God's earthly ruler, an eternal dynasty. You'd think that things would be okay. But he says trusting in princes is not sensible. It's not sensible to place your trust there. And he gives us a second option. And the second option is that we could trust in God. And so how does this God stack up to this prince? Well, while the prince is mortal and will die, God lives and reigns forever. Surely that's enough. There's no contest, is there? Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Well, while man is powerless in the face of these big issues in life, what about God? Well, he's the one who, verse 6, created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And while man's schemes, the prince's schemes, come to nothing, God keeps faith forever, verse 6.
1: There just is no comparison between the two.
0: And so no wonder the psalmist concludes, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord his God. In verse five.
1: So the first question, will you
0: praise? The second question, where is your trust? But if we're going to trust God rather than man, it begs the third question, what is this God like? We're going to spend a bit longer on this one. You see, we've seen that he's the creator in verse 6, but it's not that he kind of created it all and then he wound it up and then let it go. stepped back, put his feet up, had a celestial cup of coffee and just watched the clock run out. It's not like that. He is active. He acts within this creation that he has made. And he acts for those who need him most. And there are nine different groups that this psalmist identifies. They're just coming up on the screen now. I'm going to read these verses, verses 7 through 9. He executes judgment for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners
1: free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He raises up those who are bowed down.
0: He loves the righteous. He protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widows.
1: And he thwarts the way of the wicked.
0: I don't know whether, I tried to emphasize it when I read it, I don't know whether you noticed the repetition of the Lord does this. In verses 7 to 8, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Five times. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He is the hero. He does this. (laughs) He acts like this. We could do a some of you might need some waking up. Should we do some waking up? I'll ask you a question. You reply. The reply is the Lord. Okay? Let's just, you know. So, here we go then. Who sets the prisoners free? The Lord. Who opens the eyes of the blind? The Lord. Who raises up those who are bowed down? The Lord. Hear it, hear it. Who loves the righteous? Who protects the strangers? The Lord. Yeah. And we could do it with all of those groups. It is the Lord. He is the hero. And do you find it interesting that the psalm doesn't say anything about the well-fed or the comfortable or the secure or the healthy, the wealthy and wise, the fulfilled, the hope-filled, the majority, the self-sufficient, the articulate, or the safe. But There's no doubt that God's love is poured out on all those groups as well. Absolutely. But God is at pains to paint out through the pages of Scripture that his inclination is towards the poor, the marginalized, towards the bound up, towards the displaced, towards the mistreated, the hungry the poor, and the oppressed. And not only is his heart inclined towards them, but he will act to intervene for them. That's what scripture says. And that we call the gospel. The good news. There's no doubt that when we look at the actions of God in this psalm, the description of what he is like having created this world, this is good news. No doubt about it. And there are echoes here. Well, there aren't because it was written before, but um, of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Why? Because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion giving them a garland instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting or despair so they will be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified that's the gospel
1: Now, who said that those verses applied to him?
0: We do a session in Bible school on that, so if you don't know the answer, then please do come along. Yes, Jesus, thank you. Jesus took those words at the start of his ministry, read them out, and said, today they're fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit Of the sovereign Lord is on me. That all these groups are going to be affected by Jesus because he is the bringer of good news.
1: You see, the oppressed,
0: well, Jesus is the one who comes and frees people who are oppressed by sin. He deals with their sin once and for all. He declares that the price is paid. That the bill is settled, that the accusations that the law levels against them are cancelled, and that they are declared righteous. That's what it means to execute justice for the oppressed. Not only that, those who are oppressed within society, he will bring them relief. He will advocate for them. He will speak for them and make sure that they get justice. Another group, the hungry. Well, Jesus is the bread of life.
1: The bread of life. And he
0: promises that all who come to him will never hunger. He feeds the hungry. The prisoners. Well, Jesus is the one who comes and he blows open the prison of sin and death and sets them free. The blind. Well, Jesus is the one who's the light of the world who shines in the darkness so that the blind can see. And I take being blind to be broader than that as well. Just anyone who needs healing, anyone who's got an issue with their body, he comes and he brings healing. The bowed down. I love Spurgeon's comment on this. He says, the bowed down. So Jesus consoles the bereaved, cheers the defeated, solaces the despondent and comforts the despairing. Jesus is the one who notices people that the world does not notice. And not only does he notice them, but he promotes them. He elevates them. He gives them status in the kingdom of God, saying that he chooses the weak. He chooses the foolish. He chooses those who are not. And he says, I'm going to use you for my glory because I'm going to bestow honor on you. That's what
1: Jesus does for the bowed down. What about
0: the strangers or sojourners, those who travel, those who are without a home, without a nation? Well, Jesus is the one, and we sang it earlier, who takes them, those who don't have a nation, and he says, come here. Be in my people, I make you a citizen of heaven. That's what he does to those who have no home of their own, no country of their own. What about the fatherless and the widows? Well, Jesus takes those who aren't in the family and he places them in a family. He calls them sons and daughters. He says to the fatherless, I'm your heavenly father. And he says to the widows, you are the bride of Christ.
1: That's what Jesus does. For these groups. This is what God is like. Quite a contrast from these earthly princes. And I want us, as we look at this
0: psalm, to hear that heartbeat again. Because it is so familiar through Scripture, I wonder whether it be- can become over-familiar to us. When we're comfortable, many
1: are not comfortable. So they're the three questions. So I'm going to ask a fourth and then give some points of application. The fourth is, what will we do about it? Because it's all very well, having a nice psalm. But if it doesn't change us, and we may as well have read a Mr. Man book.
0: This psalm has implications for us, big implications for us. I'm going to suggest three things. They all begin with P, so we can remember them. Or at least I can remember them when I'm talking to you. The first is praise, kind of obvious, given where the psalm starts and finishes. But you see... Praise is really about placing our trust in God. And it's an active thing. And so I just really feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to prod this morning. Come on. Are you going to praise me?
1: Are we really trusting Him? Prod, prod. Because if you are, then
0: you'll praise. Prod, prod. There's going to be a lot of talk over the next few weeks about the possible effects of Brexit. And much of what will be reported will be rumour, counter-rumour, hypothesising, speculation. And it will be very easy to get worn down by that. To maybe want to escape to church on a Sunday morning, to hear a sermon that doesn't talk about it. Sorry. Actually, I'm not, sorry.
1: But we've got to remember,
0: in the face of all of that uncertainty, and it is uncertain for all of us, prod, will you praise? Prod, will you praise me? And we've got to remember Rob's words to us over the last month or so about this shaking that's going on. And it will be unsettling. And therefore, we must decide to guard our hearts. And part of the way we guard our hearts is that we decide now to praise. And why doesn't your every day look like these final five psalms, bookended with praise? Praise in the morning, praise as you go to bed. When you flick the news on and your heart sinks, praise.
1: Praise. It's
0: an issue of trust. And if we trust the Lord, we will praise the Lord, whatever is going on around us. The second thing, so first is praise. Second is pray. And prayer too is about placing our trust in God. Where is our trust? He alone can sort this. I don't know about you, but... If you've struggled to pray about Brexit, and I have, where do I pray? Do I pray for it because the referendum was for it? Do I pray against it because I'm not sure? Do I pray? What do I? What do I pray? Do I pray for the government to be toppled? Do I? Pr- what do I pray for? I'm. Do, do you not have, You're all giggling. Do you not have these struggles? Is it just me? How do you pray? In the light of so many questions, how do we pray? So, my conclusion is that I cannot go wrong if I pray in line with God's
1: priorities. So, what
0: does the Bible say about Brexit? Um, (laughs)
1: You
0: can't go wrong if you pray in line with his priorities. And so a few weeks ago, I decided to get hold of the Operation Yellowhammer report. Can I just have a show of hands? Who's read Operation Yellowhammer? I don't mean like the news snippets of it, but actually got the document and read it. Excellent. If you haven't, do it. Okay. It is utterly eye-opening. So Operation Yellowhammer was the government's reasonable worst-case planning assumptions for exiting the EU without a deal. I thought this part of my sermon might become irrelevant when I heard that they were going to be voting yesterday on, and then, of course not. No, so it's still a possibility. So, um, But this is the one that there was controversy over it being published. But it was published, and it's well worth a read it's about 6 pages long and what struck me as i read it and it's driven me to pray in what i think is the most helpful way i've been able to pray about this situation but what makes this report makes very clear is that the impact of no deal and of Brexit as a whole but in particular no deal will be most keenly felt by those groups for whom God acts in that psalm that we've just read. And it's interesting that our government have been explicit about the risks to those groups. So let me give you an example. The hungry. This is a quote from the report. Certain types of fresh food supply will decrease. Critical dependencies for the food supply chain, such as key input ingredients, chemicals and packaging, may be in shorter supply. In combination, these two factors will not cause an overall shortage of food in the UK, which is what we were told, but will reduce availability and choice of products and will increase price, which could impact vulnerable groups. What's God's priority? God's priority is he gives food to the hungry. So how do I pray? I pray that the hungry will have food and that the decisions that are made do not increase the hungry in our society. Either those who are already hungry or those who are just about not hungry and could be made hungry by price rises. I find that a helpful thing to pray. Or the sick. There are concerns over the supply chains for medicines and medical supplies. The issues that border delays means that things can't be stockpiled because of their short shelf life and the anxiety and concern that therefore must be felt by people who are reliant on those sorts of medicines. But what's God's priority for the sick? He gives sight to the blind. So I pray for healing and I pray that the healing materials that we use every day in this nation will not be in short supply, that there won't be border delays that there will be things put in place which mean these things can happen for people. Or, and there are group after group, so foreigners, those sojourners, those strangers who are not in their own country, both EU citizens in the UK, UK citizens in the EU. Who knows what's going to happen to their rights? We've got to pray for those people. God made provision in his law. Just read Numbers, Leviticus. Read what it says about the provision for those who are living in countries not their own. That should be our heart too.
1: What about the elderly?
0: The fatherless and the widow, they're going to be a large proportion of that group of elderly. God's heart is for them. This report outlines that there are going to be issues in that sector. Because it's fragile,
1: that's the word they use. So we've got to
0: pray for God's priorities there. And then this is a quote as well from the report. Low-income groups will be disproportionately affected by any price rises in food or fuel. That should drive us to our knees about this situation. This isn't about whether I can go on holiday to Ibiza without getting a visa. This is where the people's lives are going to be affected detrimentally by decisions that are made. The psalm has already contrasted the wisdom of earthly princes with the wisdom of God. So whose side are we going to fall on? Who are we going to plead with, to intervene.
1: God's priority, remember the poor. And so I'd encourage us to
0: pray. Pray in faith. Pray that God does something. Pray that God's heart is spread throughout the nation. And also then we have a responsibility with that. Because we can't just shut ourselves up in this upper room and pray effective though that is, we're actually called to do something. And so the third P is prepare. So praise, pray, and prepare. We don't know what's going to happen next, so we've got to prepare ourselves. And by prepare ourselves, I don't mean that we kind of dig an underground bunker and stockpile it. I mean, if you've started. No, but seriously, we must prepare ourselves to help others. That's what preparing means. Helen Hodgson this week shared in our Facebook group um, a really helpful post from Natalie Williams from Jubilee Plus. I'd encourage you to read it. It's not very long. There's an image of it come up on the screen. And it's just very practical. about I mean, the, the title's not so accurate now, but, um, but very, very practical about the impact that Brexit may have on these vulnerable groups, just as I've talked about. When I read it, the first part of me thought, oh, I was going to talk about this. And I thought, "Ah, I was going to talk about this. The bottom line is, if and when we exit the EU, there will be an impact. And there will be an impact on all of us. And the vulnerable parts of society will be impacted far more. And feel it far more acutely. So let's be practical. I asked Alison and Ruth this week um, if they had a sense of what they felt the needs for the children's storehouse that we run from here uh, might be this winter, given the Brexit possibilities. Impossible question to answer, obviously, um, but their answers really resonated with me. They said, actually, we've seen an increase in the number of adults needing clothing. Turning up with their children, clothing their children,
1: saying, have you got anything for, for me?
0: And of course, we've got, it's a children's storehouse, so we're not set up for that. But we've been able to meet some needs there. They've also ne- noticed an increase in need for bedding. So a year ago, we started um, giving bedding, sets of bedding to families. And now they're noticing towels, it's a, a more recent thing. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that if you can't clothe your children, then you're not going to be able to invest in new towels or new bedding. And so we've got to think about, well, how do we respond then? And um, Ruth said a couple of lovely ideas. You should have a chat to Ruth about her ideas for for being practical on this. She said, well, when you go and buy something like a bottle of shampoo, why don't you buy two and give one away? Or if you buy a pair of socks, buy two pairs of socks, not two socks, two pairs of socks, (laughs) and give one away. Or a box of cornflakes, put another one in your trolley. Little things, but actually they add up. And she also mentioned this idea of reverse Advent calendar. Have some of you seen that? Kind of going around on social media. So this idea that instead of you open your Advent calendar and get something, that you've got some sort of container, and every day of Advent you put something in.
1: Wow. Such a good idea. so simple. Why Why should we do this? I'll tell you why.
0: Because God's priorities should be the priorities I have. And his heart is for the poor. His heart is for each of these groups we've looked at. His concerns should be my concerns. And I think we've got an opportunity just around the corner to be able to act for him. To be a conduit for his grace. To
1: demonstrate
0: the gospel. And you don't have to do everything. You may think, well, actually, it's quite hard for me. I don't have that much spare cash at the end of the month to be able to put these extra bits in. Fine. But maybe you work in a workplace where you could set up an office collection. And all you have to do is set up the collection area. Get your colleagues to contribute. And then you bring it to storehouse or to a food bank. It doesn't have to be you doing everything, but you catalyzing something. So a few years ago, we had the uh, pants campaign at Christmas for the storehouse. Um, And the idea was that you contribute pants, and and then they're given to the the children who come. And uh, my work, uh, my colleagues are spread all over the country. We get together three times a year. Once of those is Christmas. So a few weeks before, I emailed my colleagues, slightly random, saying, If you've got any children's pants, I'd love to have them. And explained what it was about, obviously. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. And uh, I went to this Christmas staff meeting, and I came back with over 200 pairs of pants. And it's not like I work for this multinational company or anything. There's about 60 of us. Actually, at the time, there were fewer than that. And that was just me spreading the word about there's an opportunity here, so why don't you give? So maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's a school that you're connected with. You might be on the PTA. You might be on the playground with your kids. Why not set up a collection point? And it could be to do with storehouse. It could be to do with, we've got an amazing food bank down the road that renewal run called Helping Hands. Maybe it could be to do with that. Maybe there's someone here who'd like to be the coordinator for that and say, tell you what, if you want to contribute foodstuffs, and I'll take them up once a week or once a fortnight. (coughs) I don't know, I think we need to get a bit more creative on this. I think we need to realise as well that our little bit, our tin of beans might not appear much on its own, but if we had 200 tins of beans, that's a lot of beans. Maybe that as a life group you want to do something. What about if everyone in your life group brought something and put it in a box, a small something, say once a fortnight between now and Christmas?
1: That's quite a bit of stuff. But, church, I feel that maybe
0: when the appeal comes and the need to act comes, we'll need to do it quite quickly. So, we need to be ready. We need to be alert. We need to listen to the likes of Alison and Ruth as they're telling the stories, and Ange and the others who are involved in that team. We need to hear, you know, we need to contact Renewal, say, what are the, the needs food wise? What is it that you could most do with? And then we need to respond, be ready to respond.
1: So, praise, pray, and prepare. God is with us,
0: you know. He is with us. We saw that the weekend away. And that means he's with us wherever we go. And so there's an opportunity here for us to carry faith and carry favor
1: wherever we go.